There. No. Okay. There we go. Um, wow, that was way louder. Okay. Um, uh, so when we get to the book of Ruth, all of that kind of just stops. It slows down. And the book of Ruth is about one family. In particular, it's about a woman named Ruth. Uh, and so what we've been doing, uh, and I, like, I try not to do this because like, I don't want to like, like if you want to go back and read those sermons, I, I say that not because of like all the profound things that I've said in them, uh, but as we've kind of built our way up, kind of having a little bit of context of what those sermons were, uh, I think could be helpful for you, because uh, I'm going to fly through some of that this morning uh, to get to our topic this morning on the book of Ruth. Uh, so basically, I'm going to introduce the characters to you. Uh, what we've been doing with this series format is a little bit different, right? So usually I get up here and ramble for about 45 minutes on a letter from Paul, and I make things way more complicated than I should. Like, forgive me for that. I try. Um, but like this morning, what we're going to do is actually sort of tell a story. And this story is about this woman named Ruth and her family. So I, I built a little bit of a family tree. I took genetics when I was in pre-med. Uh, so forgive me if this looks weird. It's been a long time. Uh, but if you look at this family tree here, um, this is a story about this family. Okay, it's about a patriarch, Elimelech, uh, and Ruth, uh, I'm sorry, and Naomi, his wife. And Elimelech's name means, uh, my, my God is king, uh, and Naomi means pleasant. So Naomi uh, and Elimelech, my God is king and pleasant, they get married. And so what you would expect in a story that starts off with two people whose names mean, my God is in control, he's got my back, and pleasant, when they get together, like you would expect that story to go a certain way. But then all of a sudden, we read that Elimelech dies. And then shortly after that, uh, his two sons, Malon and Kilion, whose names mean frail and sickly, also die. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I have a call and pop this morning. And all of a sudden, Naomi is left by herself with Ruth, her daughter-in-law, and Orpah, her other daughter-in-law. And so what happens uh, is that as the story progresses, this woman whose name means pleasant, whose life you would expect to take a certain direction, right, have a certain um, expectation of how her life would work out, all of a sudden, through this, in the middle of the story, she goes, don't call me Naomi anymore. Don't call me pleasant. Don't associate me with goodness. Don't associate me with good things. Don't associate me with the favor or the blessing or the hand of God. Call me Mara, which means bitter. And so the story uh, as we'll read it. So what we'll do this morning is I'm actually going to just read the story. And I want to let the story speak to its, like speak for itself to you guys. Uh, so what I'm going to do is just give us some context. But what I want us to do for a second is just what the writer's doing of this story is we're now asking the question, does Mara stay Mara forever? Does the way that her life has worked out lock her heart permanently in bitterness and disillusionment and resentment and despair? Is she going to stay Mara forever? And so the book of Ruth is a story of redemption. Okay, that's, that's what we've really been building up to is there's a, there's a redemption that takes place that needs to take place in Mara's heart. So that she's not locked away 
and the disillusionment and the distance from God that she is experiencing. My God is king is dead. God being sovereign over all of this, she's now wrestling with this. Where is he? And so I think most of us uh, find ourselves like Mara at one point or another in our life. And I think many of us around Restore, particularly as, as we're honest with ourselves, like Mara is where we are and find our hearts pretty regularly. I was watching, I debated whether or not to quote this movie from the stage or not, but it was, I, I, I watched, there was a movie with Seth Rogen and Paul Rudd, it's knocked up, I saw it in college, it's been a long time, but there, there is a conversation in that movie that takes place between the two of them that I think describes exactly what happens with Naomi here. It's Paul Rudd and Seth Rogen, and they're sitting, I don't remember the character, it's been over a decade, so sorry if I misquote this, but like, they're sitting at the park and they're watching Seth Rogen's kids play with bubbles in the park. And Paul Rudd says, my kids love bubbles. Like, I don't get it. What is it with kids and bubbles? And then he goes, I wish I loved anything as much as my kids love bubbles. And Seth Rogen looks over at him. He's like, are you okay, man? And he goes, no. Is anybody okay? And this is the sentiment that comes from that is this, this sentiment of like life was supposed to be like beautiful, like things like bubbles were supposed to get me excited. And then as I got older and as I grew up and as I like learned all those songs in Sunday school of Jesus loves me, this I know, those things started to kind of fade away and life just kind of seems to work itself out mostly bitterly. Where I kind of look at joy, like I look at a kid playing with bubbles and I'm like, I don't know life, right? Is anybody okay? This is Mara's place where she's in, as I want to enter into that story with her. So the question I want to ask this morning is, how does redemption in the book of Ruth take shape? So Ruth will, uh, we can go to this next slide. Oh, we're at the right side, sorry. Uh, there's another word here that we've been exploring kind of all throughout the series, and this word is called hesed. This word uh, is a Hebrew word that is notoriously difficult to translate into English. Uh, but it means something along the lines of like steadfast love or loyal love or like relentless grace. You could, you could work any of those kind of directions with it. And it is this idea uh, of like a love that does not quit, that does not stop pursuing, that is not like bashful, that is not deetered. Even when it is resisted, it actually overcomes and overpowers that resistance. This is the word that God will use to describe himself when he gives the Ten Commandments to Moses on the mountain. Moses says, I want to see your face. And God says, you can't see my face, but I'll let you see my backside. This is literally what God says. Like, I will pass through. I'll let you see part of me. And then Moses says, well, who are you? He says, I am a God of Hesed, steadfast, loyal, relentless, unwavering love. And so your translators, and this is, so I tell us all the time, like in our groups and everything, like I don't want us to be uh, translation snobs. Like don't, don't go to your group and like, my translation's better than y'all's, why don't you get on board? Like don't do that. Like, but for just a second, I'm going to be hypocritical and be a translation snob. Um, our translators, most of our modern translators, get very shy around this word when it shows up in the book of Ruth. Because that word is typically used to describe God's character, and now all of a sudden it's describing Ruth's character. And your translators are like, well, it's a, her, it's a person, not God. Can they really share the same attributes? And the question I want to press for this morning is yes. Because what also makes the book of Ruth unique 
is that God is actually seemingly absent from the story. Right? So if you read the story of Abraham, God comes down. He's like, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to show you where to go. Like, I'm gonna, you know, like let, me, let me lead you. Like, there's all of these kind of direct revelations from God. But then when you get to the book of Ruth, he's relatively silent. But a word that's used to describe him, a word that he has used to describe himself is showing up in the story, which leads us to ask the question, is God working through someone? Is the Hesed that God shows Abraham and God tells Moses about showing up in this story just as profoundly, just as significantly, just as beautifully, and is it showing up through Ruth. Okay, so, so uh, what will happen here in this story is that redemption will begin, to take pl- will begin to take place through the hesed, the unfailing love, the relentless grace, the loyal love that Ruth will show Naomi. Okay, so what will happen is Naomi's uh, will basically tell Ruth, hey, I want you to go back to your homeland. There's nothing left for you here. Your husband, my son, is dead. Like, go home. It's not good for you to stay with me. It's not good for you to be here. Go home. And Ruth will say, where you go, I will go. And so what we'll begin to see taking place through the story of Ruth is this hesed that she shows Naomi begins to redeem Naomi. Uh, so that, that next slide here, um, we'll, we'll see one other character that's going to int- be introduced, and his name is Boaz. So um, again, I'm flying through much of this. Um, there's all of our previous sermons are on Facebook, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube. You can catch them there. Uh, but there's another character named Boaz. He'll be described as a redeemer in the story. So that, that word redemption uh, could be translated something along the lines of like to come back from, to, to be in one state and to be brought out of that into something else, to be brought back into beauty, back into like its original um, like strength and valor and, and glory, whatever word you want to use there, like it's to be brought back from. That's why we're named Restore. Right, we say pretty, like, up front, there's a big sign. You are a part of God's plans to restore all people to his love. This restoration, redemption piece here tells us that God is bringing about in us things that we don't even realize that are there. In our fallen, broken, needy state, God is bringing about who he is in our character. This is what the book of Ruth is beginning to show us. The hesed of God can be the hesed, our hesed. Like we can love each other with the hesed of God. Who God is and his faithful character is forming in us. And so as redemption begins to take place in the story, um, the question the, the really we want to ask the question is how? And here, here's the first play, the way that I think redemption begins to take place in the story. It starts through these little acts of hesed towards one another. All right, so um, there's a quote by Gandalf, and this is the only time I'm really ever going to nerd out. When I uh, started this, when I was, like, years and years ago, uh, this woman, Carrie, uh, and I had started a college ministry, and we were thinking, it was back then, it was like, are you going to start a church? And she's like, you can start a church, but you have to promise never use a sports analogy from the stage. I've actually kept that promise. I don't think I've ever made a sports analogy. She said nothing about Gandalf, though. 
Uh, so I am going to bring Gandalf in. But like this quote, I think it summarizes in, 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 in some kind of way the actual like essence of what we begin to see uh, in the book of Ruth. Gandalf says, some believe that it is only great power that can hold evil back or in check. But that is not what I have found. I have found it as the small things, the everyday deeds by ordinary folk that keep the darkness at bay. He says this, if you've never seen the story, read the books, anything like that, it, essentially the Lord of the Rings plays out this idea of like what really keeps evil in check. Is it greatness and glory and power, or is it the humble and the unassuming things of life and the people of life? And so what Ruth does is it's kind of like, like I said, we've had all these stories of kings and nations going to war, and all of a sudden now we've got this kind of like almost telescopic view of this little family here and this woman who is showing Hesed. The second thing to keep in mind about redemption as it shows us in the book of Ruth is that it's, it's hard for us to see while we're in the middle of it. Uh, so many of us, I think, like Paul Rudd's character, uh, feel frustrated with our life uh, because we still have a relatively small perspective of our redemption. If I can't understand and see all that God's doing right now, like if the ways that I'm feeling defeated right now become the thing that like signifies for us whether or not he loves us, whether or not he's faithful to us, whether or not we are good Christians or not. And the reality is uh, from the book of Ruth is that Ruth is going to move into this story of redemption with Naomi. She's going to show her this hesed. But they have no idea how this story will end. They cannot see the end from the uncertain, scary, frightening middle that they're in. They cannot see that their life, like she has no, as far as she knows, she's going to a foreign land. Naomi's going to go back. She's going to a foreign land with a woman who now calls herself bitter. And there's no like sign or indication of redemption. Right? Like, as I want us to step into the story to begin to understand uh, Ruth's Hesed more, what I want us to see is, like, there's this courage that she has. Right? So, so the, the word, um, we'll, we'll see some that she'll say, we'll, we'll say is that Ruth will cling to Naomi. That word cling uh, has been used uh, in other places in your Bible to describe marriage. It's like clinging to of like my fate and your fate are twined together, like I will not abandon you. But neither Ruth nor Mara slash Naomi, none of them can see this from the middle of the story. And what it reminds us and want us to be mindful of is that redemption begins to take place in this story, but none of the characters can see that while they're in it. None of the characters are like, I think this is going to work out okay in the end after all. Like the, as the story progresses, we'll begin to see some hope. But for most of the story, the characters are un completely unaware that redemption may or could take place or how it could take place. But we do know that Ruth clings with Hesed. She clings to Naomi with unfaithful love, with faithful steadfast, unfailing love. And so as the story takes place, the story is going to end by telling us that Ruth will have a child with Boaz, and this child 
uh, will be basically the grandfather of David. And for, for us, like, that may not mean a whole lot, but what the story is telling us, if you know anything about King David, well, if you know anything about Jesus, Jesus is a descendant of David. What the story will end with is through this hesed that Ruth shows and begins to evoke in the other characters. The story of redemption for the entire world began to take place, began to shape. But they're going to be dead and gone long before they see any of that, which means that part of the way that we understand redemption as a people, the part of the way that we need to understand restoration uh, of God as a people is that as we cling to hesed, we may not see all the ways in which all the ways down the line, way down the line, that God is working out his goodness in the world. Uh, all right, so, like, part of, part of, like, even as we sing worship songs, part of what makes me nervous about, and not, none of the songs, I'm not, like, people like, is he talking about this morning songs? I'm not, like, but part of what makes me nervous sometimes about a lot of the contemporary songs that I see, like, in just worship is that they, they promise that God's going to show up and that we're going to see all of it and understand all of it and leave completely changed, like, with this kind of picture of, like, wow, now I see it. And it almost like over delivers this promise. Like how, that's kind of how we want God to show up. Like we'd love for him to show up and be like, hey, here's how your life's going to work out. And between ages 45 and 40, you're going to hit a, a dry spot, but don't worry, you'll get through it by the time you're 40. Like we want him to like map it out for us. But the story of Ruth shows us the redemption of God is something that we'll remain sometimes completely unaware of. And many times it's going to be way, way down the line of our life, or the way that God works, that the full manifestation of redemption will take place. But what Ruth shows us is that when we cling to Hesed, we'll find Jesus. The story's leading us there. Jesus is coming. The Hesed of Jesus through Ruth is coming. God is working in a way that Ruth has no idea. She set out in the story to try and redeem Naomi. She has no idea that the hesed that she will show Naomi will lead to the redemption of the world. All she can do is cling. So uh, a couple of other things just to give us a little bit of context from this story that'll be weird or, or like unfamiliar with us is, is there's going to be a moment on this, this threshing floor. We'll read this. It's this moment where um, Ruth will appeal to Boaz to be their redeemer. And there's been a lot of speculation. And if you, I'm saying this because some of us grew up in purity culture and heard this story just butchered uh, of what's happening here. Um, but, but basically, Boaz is a redeemer. What that means is because Naomi, has uh, husband Elimelech has died, my goddess king has died, uh, she owns land, but she, it's, she can't use it. It's untapped equity. She has no way to like, hire laborers to, 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 like, to make it fruitful or, or harvest off of it. It's just sitting there. And so part of what she needs uh, in this patriarchal society is a patriarch to come in and help utilize this. This is why Boaz is a redeemer. And the way that it was set up in this, this culture uh, was um, if, if, you, uh, if your husband died, in order to protect the widow, uh, what would happen is the nearest relative, which is usually the brother, would marry her. So that, and then if they had children together, their offspring, their children, would be as the dead brother's heir. 
to keep basically this kept, uh, like I'm, I'm going quickly here, but it kept like wealth and, and uh, like evenly distributed wealth in families. It kept any one family becoming too powerful. There were all kinds of laws that were in place uh, that actually helped um, kind of regulate um, how families would operate uh, in this culture. And one of the ways that they would both protect the widow, but then also ensure that like the wealth and the land of the family stayed in the family was if that widow uh, and, that, <laughs> and that brother had a child or that relative had a child, that child would receive that land as if it were their own. And it would stay in that family. And so you'll see in this story, Ruth will go to Boaz and say, hey, you are our redeemer. If you will marry me, like we can bring back the line of Elimelech, right? Like we can honor this family. And Boaz is going to say, well, there's actually some other guy. We got to go talk to him first uh, and ask him like, because he's closer related to you than I am. And if he says no, then I'll do it. And so what will happen is when Ruth goes and asks Boaz this, he will respond with gratitude of like, thank you for bring, like giving me the opportunity to live into the hesed that you have been showing Naomi. Okay, so, so why this story gets butchered uh, is it gets sexualized. Uh, like if you, if you had a youth group where like this story somehow becomes like don't have sex before marriage. I'm not talking about sexual ethics this morning. What I am saying is what the story is not saying. The story is not saying Ruth does not go to Boaz and he's like, thank you for this hesed. He's not saying thanks for coming to have sex with me. Like I just, I don't know how to more bluntly say it than that because I've heard this story like, like freaking butch and I'm sorry, like I'm being more combative than I want to. But like, Honestly, like it's done, like it somehow one it does this like it scandalizes Ruth. She's the one acting with the character in this story, and somehow it gets twisted into this like she's coming to offer herself to him, and he's like, "Well, I'm a man of honor. I can't until we're married." Like that's not at all like what he's do like what's happening here. Her character, she's like, I have been like giving everything I have to this family. This Hesed, like you are a man of integrity too. Come live into this Hesed with me. She's inviting, leading, evoking, and stirring within Boaz's heart, hesed, grace, steadfast love. So, so as, as we read the, the, the story this morning, as, as, um, uh, for the time that we have left, don't worry, it's, it only takes 13 minutes, okay? So I, I don't know how, how much time you guys have spent in Scripture this morning, but it's like 13 minutes this week, um, like I want to let the story just kind of speak to itself. Um, but I want to do this this morning um, is also set us up with a little bit of an exercise as we read the story as we close. So, so there's a moment in John when Jesus is talking to a group of people who are trying to figure out who he is. And he essentially says this. He says, and the father who sent me has testified about himself. You have never heard his voice, or seeing him face to face. And you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe me, the one he sent to you. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Okay, I, I, what Jesus has just done there is actually told us, here's how you read your Bible. It points to me. You see Jesus in the way that we read the Bible. And so what I want to do this morning is see Jesus in the book of Ruth. 
and in the actions of Ruth. So, a couple of things, right? As Ruth goes to live with Naomi in this foreign land, uh, the story will tell us several times she's a Moabite. Um, we talked more about this in previous sermons, but what that meant is, like, the Moabites were really kind of looked down upon shamefully. Uh, the Moabite nation starts, it tells us in the scripture, between a father and an incestuous relationship with his two daughters. Uh, and so Moab means like seed of my father or from my father or my father or my grandfather or the same. Uh, and so like there's this kind of shameful uh, connotation to Moabites. And so as we see Ruth endure shame and live as a foreigner in a foreign land, for Naomi, I want us to see Jesus and the way that he came to a foreign land and endured shame for you. Likewise, when Ruth tells Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. I want you to hear Jesus saying that to you. So most of us, when we think of the way that Jesus loves us, we kind of think of it as maybe accommodating. Like, I'll put up with you. Or, um, like, maybe lack of patience or, like, I'm just waiting um, for you to screw up again. Like, I'm waiting for you uh, to dismiss me again. But what I want us to hear in these words of Ruth, when she says, where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. I want you to hear God saying that to you. In our shameful moments, in our sinful moments, in our addicted moments, in the midst of our failures, Right, like this question that I get relatively often is like, I, I, I'm struggling with this. What does God say? You want to know what God says? Listen to the words of Ruth to Naomi. I will go where you go. Hesed, which is a common word that God uses to describe His love for us, is loyal. I think very few of us actually really begin to think of God's love for us as loyal. Like when we meet him someday, there's all, there's all memes that float around Facebook and stuff. Like, what's that going to look like? Is God's going to be like, do I let you in or not? And I think that encounter is going to go much more of like, I finally see you. You have no idea the lengths that I have gone, the depths that I have pursued to pursue you. My child it's going to be a whole lot less of should I let you in here and a whole lot more of you're finally here. I've seen you, like I've pursued you my whole life, your whole life. I have given up and emptied myself and endured shame and have gone where you've gone and have died where you've died. That's what Easter is. We're getting ready to celebrate to bring you here. Not should I let you in or not. Not, well, are you, did you ask for forgiveness enough or not? Not, how hard have you tried? Not, do you deserve it? But where you go, I will go to bring you here to me. 
this moment I have moved heaven. I have left heaven and endured in a foreign land to bring you here, to die where you die so that you and I could be together. And so as we read Ruth this morning, this is our like, thought experiment I want to leave us with. As we see the hesed of the characters uh, beginning to take shape, I want us to see Jesus and the way that Ruth pursues Naomi, and the way that Boaz redeems Naomi and Ruth, I want us to see Jesus and the way that he pursues us. So I'm going to read the story for us, and this is how we'll end this morning. Starting in Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malon and Kilian died. This left Naomi alone with her two sons, without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-laws got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living. And they took to the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her daughter-in-laws, Go back to your mother's homes. May the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. Your hesed to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then he kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Still give birth to two other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has come back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you. Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, 
I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey when they came to Bethlehem. The entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The woman asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made me life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer? The Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up stalks of grain left behind by anyone who was kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of father-in-law Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem uh, and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked the foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, She is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she should gather grain behind the harvesters. She's been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go into any other fields. Stay right behind the young woman working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting, and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly, and when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I am only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I've heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, who's under, who under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. I hope I can continue to please you, sir, she replied. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your own workers. At mealtime, Boaz called to her, come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat with the harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her, and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up, and don't give her a hard time. So Ruth gathered barley there all day, 
And when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. She carried it back into town and showed it to her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that was left over from the meal. Where did you get all this, gather all this grain today? Naomi asked. Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today is named Boaz. May the Lord bless him. Naomi told her daughter-in-law, he is showing his kindness, his hesed to us, as well as your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Then Ruth said, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with the harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. Good, Naomi exclaimed. Do as he said, my daughter. Stay with his young woman right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you will be safe with him. So Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's field and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued to work with them through the wheat harvest and early summer. And all the while she lived with her mother-in-law. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, It's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain in his field with his young women. Tonight he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath and put on perfume until you have finished eating and drinking. Be sure to, until he has finished eating and drinking, be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and cover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up, turned over. He was surprised to find the woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty, family hesed, than you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary. For everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself, and I'll lie down here until morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning, But she got up before it was light enough for the people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that the woman was here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to the town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, what happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi Boaz uh, everything Boaz had done for her. She added, He gave me these six scoops of barley and said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said to her, 
Just be patient, my daughter-in-law, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there just when the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, you know Naomi, who came back from Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, all right, redeem it. Then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow, that she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land and the family. Then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own state. You redeem the land, I cannot do it. Now, in those days, it was custom in Israel for anyone transferring rights, a right of purchase, to removal of his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, you buy the land. Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, you are witnesses that today I have brought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nations of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will like those of the ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar in Judah. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman of this town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and who has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast. And she cared for him as if he were her own the neighborhood women said, Now at last Naomi has a son again. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. Let me pray for us, and we'll finish with worship this morning in communion. Oh, Father, <laughs> um, can we admit how hard it is to cling to Hesed? Um, Father, to trust that you are redeeming from the scary middle of our lives, from the uncertain middle of our lives. Father, most of us just fight back bitterness and resentment or disillusionment. Father, wherever we are, 
uh, in the middle, would you help us to trust the redemption of your story? Father, we confess as a church how bad we are at clinging to Hesed towards one another. Would you forgive us for that? Would you have mercy on us? Father, we need you. Whatever we walked in with this morning, Father, we need your Hesed. We need you to hear us. Like, we need to hear from you. We need you to hear you say where you go, I will go. I'm going to restore your youth. Some of that passion and vigor and life that you had, I'm restoring that. I'm redeeming you. Father, would you help us to hear your loyal love for us as we learn to show that kind of loyal love towards one another? We can't do it on our own. We need the help of your spirit. We need the help of your son. We need you, Father. Would you show us how to be a church of Hesed? We pray all these things in your name. Amen.